I'm reading from the seventh chapter of Matthew, verse 7 to 12. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds and the one who knocks, the door will be open. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So in everything... Do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Thank you, Joan. Well, who it is that we're asking something makes a big difference to how we ask them and whether or not we ask them in the first place. Who it is we're asking for something makes a big difference to how we ask them and whether or not we ask them in the first place. Uh, My job before being a pastor was as a radiographer, working in x-ray, and I made a point of usually not asking how someone ended up with their injuries because they were usually quite embarrassed about it. But I was supervising one of my students once. She was x-raying the little finger of a guy from one of the prisons, a real hard-nut-looking guy, And she said to him, what did you do? He said, three counts of grievous bodily harm and fraud. She said, no, no, what did you do to your pinky? (laughs) Uh, Last Monday, I had to go to the airport at daft o'clock. So I didn't want to ask Sharon. I didn't want her to have to be so tired. So I I got really organized. I booked an Uber. I reserved an Uber. The money went out. The fair... the journey was there on the app saying, but all booked. But come quarter to five Monday morning, there's no car. There's no sign that I ever booked this trip on the app. And there was no new car available. So I went and asked Sharon very quietly, calmly, apologetically. And Sharon was, of course, darling, I don't like. No, Sharon was really good about it. Really good. I didn't want to ask her, but I had to. So who it is we're asking something makes a big difference to how we ask them and whether or not we ask them in the first place. So we're in the Sermon on the Mount. That's our series we're doing. Jesus has already already been talking about prayer, hasn't he? He's always taught us how to pray in God's family prayer, what we call the Lord's Prayer. Um, He's told us that back in chapter 6. And now he talks about asking God for things again. So 7 verse 7, asking it will be given Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. So why come back to the topic now? Well, I think it's because by this stage in his sermon, if we haven't already, if we didn't already, we're now very aware of our need for help. Jesus has been telling us the ethics of the kingdom of God, the ethics of following Jesus aren't just about external acts. They include our hearts, our thoughts, our motivations, everything about us. 
So name-calling reveals a murderous heart. Lustful thoughts are an adulterous betrayal. We're to be so truthful that we never need to swear an oath. We're called to love not just our friends, but also our enemies. Even our good works are prone to sin. Giving, praying and fasting in such a way that shows in the end it's all about us and not about God. We're called to give up chasing after material treasure and seek treasure in heaven. Not, and we're told not to worry about how, whether or not we'll survive. So in other words, Jesus calling us to follow him and live for his kingdom is him calling us to radically transform our lives for the rest of our lives. And that life is such a high bar and yet so beautiful. Well, the right response is to turn to God by putting our trust in Jesus to save us from our failure, admitting that we've got nothing to bring under our own steam. Trusting Jesus to save us from, that, from our failure to live that way and to depend on him in prayer as we throw ourselves into becoming more like Jesus in response to his grace, in response to him saving us. So Jesus encourages us to pray. We need to pray to get anywhere near all of this. So if, you're, if you find an outline of a talk helps you, here's where we're heading. We'll talk about ask, seek, knock. Why? Because it works, because of who we're asking. And then I'll, I'll try to anticipate some objections. You know, they're kind of, yeah, but what about what well, we come up with when we think about prayer? And then we'll talk about what we should be asking, seeking, and knocking for. All right. So first up, ask, seek, knock. First because it works. Now, any mum will tell you, what's the best way to get your kids' attention? Well, it's to try and sit down for five minutes peace and quiet to yourself, isn't it? That's guaranteed to bring them all coming with a hundred requests. That's when they'll come and tell you what they want. And that's the kind of scenario that Jesus is painting here for our approach to God. Verse 7 again, asking it will be given to you, seeking you will find, knocking the door will be opened to you. Now, every kid knows that mums have got super sensitive hearing, so they start, whatever it is they want to ask you, they start the asking conversation in a point in the house as far away as possible from mum. Mum! Mum! Then they don't get an answer, so they go, Seeking, they've asked, and now they go seeking. Eventually, they realise she's proactively hiding in her room from them, and they go and find a room and knock on the door. And that's the kind of controlling image that Jesus himself gives us about how to approach God, our Heavenly Father. Like a child approaches their parent. So yes, the parent has much more power and authority, knows so much more, but that doesn't stop a child trustingly approaching them with their requests anyway. Yes, the request might be completely ridiculous, but the child persistently, annoyingly even, keeps bringing their requests. And it's with this boldness, this absolute trust expressed in dependence, that Jesus tells us to ask God for things. And the promise is, our Heavenly Father will never let us down. Verse 8, 
For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Jesus is making a pretty simple point that praying like this really works. God will answer, not just for, for some, but, verse 8, for everyone who asks. Now we hear that and we hear loads of objections popping off in our heads. We'll come to, to some of those later. But at the very least, right now we can say, Jesus says there is a kind of prayer to which the answer is always yes. Um, with, uh, Michael, our trainee, gave us a series on prayer um, a while ago. And there are, so he talked about some helpful acronyms. There are some acronyms that go about to help us with prayer. So pray, praise, repent, ask and yield. Or acts, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. And of course, we should adore God, we should confess our sins to him, we should thank him, and we should be repentant. And those kinds of prayers are modelled in the Psalms and all through the Bible. But that isn't Jesus' emphasis in the Sermon on the Mount. When it comes to praying about living as a disciple of Jesus, living as one of God's family, living as a citizen in God's kingdom, Jesus' emphasis is that we are to get on with asking like a child asks a parent. Even the Lord's Prayer, did you notice, the Lord's Prayer is, from beginning to end, all request. It's a bunch of asking God for stuff. So the danger is that we don't get on with asking God for stuff because well, we think it's kind of crass to just dive in there with all our requests straight away. We think we're being rude to God unless we show great reverence first. But can I say, asking God for things demonstrates reverent dependence on him. Asking God for things demonstrates that you revere him, that you respect him, and that you trust him. And getting on with asking things from God, it it defends us from drifting into the idea that we can work things enough, we can massage things enough to coerce God into answering our prayers. So here's another acronym for you. ASK. A-S-K. Ask, seek, knock. In other words, get on with it. Ask God for things and God will answer. But how can we be sure? How can we be sure God will answer? Um, our second heading, because, ask, seek and knock because of who we're asking. Because of who we're asking. When we pray, we're praying to a generous father. Verse 9. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Uh, growing up, uh, we always had foster kids around in our family. And some of them, their parents were just down on their luck, just needed a break. But I learned at a young age how blessed I was with the parents I had been given. How my parents loved and cared for me. 
compared to just how awful some parents could be to their own children. But even those parents that are awful to their own children still knew how to give their children good things. They knew not to give their children dangerous things. It's a bit shocking, isn't it, verse 11, that Jesus calls his disciples and whoever's listening, and us really, evil. He's not saying we are as bad as we could be, but all of us have rebelled against God in our own way. All of us deserve the spiritual death of separation from God, who is the source of all that is good. And in that sense, we are evil. So Jesus has given us here a how much more argument. If we who have a tendency to be self-seeking and to put our own needs before others, if even we know how to give our children good things, how much more will God give us good things? I mean, we only have to compare ourselves to the picture of living as a citizen of God's kingdom that Jesus gives us in the Sermon on the Mount. Just looking at chapters 5 to 7 of Matthew just shows us how far short we fall, how we deserve immediate deportation out of God's kingdom. But instead, Jesus' death and resurrection means that we get to call God Father. A good and perfect loving father who loves to say yes to our prayers. So stop and reflect for a moment. When you pray, who who have you got in that picture? Is that who you picture? Do you picture a loving heavenly father who loves to give you good things? Is that who's in your mind's eye? A warm, loving parent with your well-being at heart who welcomes your request, who's glad you came and knocked on his door? Or have other ideas crept in? Is God more like a grumpy, stressed-out dad, busy in his study, and you dare not knock on the door? Or is God the CEO, who normally lives on the top floor, and if you did bump into him, you'd be too scared to say anything for fear of exposing how rubbish you are? Is he... The father who has favourites in your mind's eye. You know, he'll answer prayer, sure, but for those Christians who are much better than me, much more mature than me, that's who he looks after. That's who his prayers get answered. When we're not feeling that God is our loving father, not feeling like a loved child, then what we can do is lock on to what God has done already. You know, remember is one of the most common commands in the Bible because there's so much that God has already done that we can look back on that shows who he is and what he's like. All of it shows God is faithful, just, full of grace and that he loves us, that he's the kind father, the kind of father you don't skip a beat in bringing your request to because he's so generous and so good. So maybe the thing you need to ask God for today is to remind you of who he really is, what he's really like, so that you get on praying for good things. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you.
ask, seek, knock. Okay, but what about, we say? So some objections now we'll talk about. Give me a sec. When we read, ask, seek, knock, and everyone's prayers will be answered, we immediately have objections, don't we? First one, I reckon, is, well, everyone who asks will receive, or what about all my unanswered prayers? Unanswered prayers. Second one, um, in 6 verse 8, Jesus says, your father knows what you need before you ask him. Um, and, I, you know, I believe God's in control, so why does he need me to pray at all? If he already knows, he's completely sovereign. He doesn't need me pestering him, does he? So first then, why does God, doesn't God seem to answer some prayers? Why is it unanswered prayers? Well, specifically in this passage, the promise is our Father in heaven will give us good gifts to those who ask him. So not just anything. Even within Jesus' own picture he's given us, we can imagine a child asking for a stone, or we can imagine a child asking for a snake and the parent refusing, and that would be the right thing to do because to do that would be dangerous. And if we are sinful, evil even, if what we know is so much more limited than what God knows, then surely we have to admit there are going to be cases where We cannot begin to imagine why God would refuse our prayer, but that he could nonetheless have good reasons for refusing. We just can't see what he can see. But still, what about something really clear-cut? A pastor, a friend of mine, shared recently, holding back tears, that his 13-year-old son had told him, very respectively, but his 13-year-old son had told him that he didn't believe in God anymore. So what about his prayers for his son to find Jesus, to trust in Jesus? And lots of us are praying for people to become Christians. And it just seems like they're still a million miles away. What could possibly be wrong with that prayer? Please help my friend become a believer. Doesn't it line right up with Jesus' whole mission? I cannot think of a good reason why my God would not answer that prayer. I can't imagine why those prayers go unanswered. But that doesn't mean that there's no answer at all. What we do know is that it can't be because God doesn't love them. I mean, we look at what he did. He sent Jesus to die in their place so that they can be saved. We can know that God loves through what he's done, and we do know what Jesus tells us to do with the situation. Jesus tells us to ask, seek, and knock. To keep knocking on God's door for them, for whatever prayers seem unanswered. That's not going to tie off all the loose ends we have in our minds about unanswered prayer. But remember what God has done, and remember what he tells us to do. That's unanswered prayer is an objection. So secondly, why do we need to pray at all? Well, to state the obvious, in case we miss it, Jesus tells us to. That's good enough reason in and of itself. Jesus, who perfectly represents the Father, he himself prayed. You know, isn't that remarkable? That there's, there's no, rela- no two persons who've been more at one than anything else in existence in the whole universe ever. 
but they still talk to each other. We use words to pray. Um, Luke verse 11 Sorry, Luke 11, chapter, verse 2, the, his introduction to the Lord's Prayer is introduced. When you pray, say. So use words. So we use words in prayer because of who God is. We have a Heavenly Father, a meaningful person-to-person relationship. And he wants us to express our faithful dependence in words through prayer. So words are kind of the currency of relationship, aren't they? And God is relational in his very being. The lifeblood of relationships is words, words expressing meaning between different persons. So prayer is not about getting mystically caught up in God's presence. It's not about emptying your mind. Prayer is about filling your mind with God's word so that you know him, in that way, and applying it to yourself, and then engaging with God, using words to express your, yourself, to express your dependence on him. It doesn't have to be lots of words, it just needs to be your words. So we pray because God is relational, and words, we pray with words, because words are the currency of relationships. All right, then, to finish, watch with what then should we ask, seek, and knock? Our last heading. What kind of prayers will see us receiving, finding, and having doors opened? What should we be praying for our church for the next three years? What are the good things to ask for? Well, just the immediate surrounds of the Sermon on the Mount can tell us what they are and what they aren't. So we shouldn't be praying for vengeance, for power, for material wealth, for popularity, for ease and comfort. Those are not the things to pray for because Jesus has already spoken against those things in his Sermon on the Mount. So we know they're not good. But what are the good things? At chapter 6, verse 33, we saw this a few weeks ago. Seek first his kingdom. And his righteousness. So that is, pray to be the good citizen of his kingdom that we've seen Jesus describe in this Sermon on the Mount. So pray to be poor in spirit, turning to God daily for his grace, trusting in Jesus. Pray that you'll mourn sin, that you'll hate sin more and more each day. Pray to hunger and thirst for righteousness. To not just do the right thing, but think and desire the right thing. Pray to not be angry, to not lust, to keep promises, to love enemies, to be humble, to not worry, to not judge. Pray that you'll pray. And I think we can hear that sometimes and think, well... Is that it? Is that all the prayers that God's going to answer? What about my health concerns? What about my financial concerns? What about my relational, my relationship worries? All that gnarly day-to-day stuff. Doesn't God want me to pray about any of that? Well, yes, he does. But it's where it fits in. So the Lord's Prayer was all about God's kingdom from beginning to end. 
But even the give us this day our daily bread in there, where that fits in is, as, is please give us what we need for today to be about your kingdom. Please sustain us as we go. The Lord's Prayer is a lesson on, on what life is all about. It's about Jesus and living for him. And if you've not given your life to Jesus, you're missing out. You're missing out on what you're made for, for knowing God personally. You're missing out on forgiveness, won for you by Jesus. And you can know the peace of that forgiveness, even today, by trusting and believing in Jesus. Or maybe you are a Christian and you recognise this morning that you've been consumed with worldly worries, painful and real as they are, no doubt, but that you've been distracted from Jesus' kingdom priorities of knowing him and making him known. You found yourself asking for and seeking the wrong things. Well, let's bring all our legitimate concerns to God. But with that lens, with the priority of growing his kingdom in ourselves and calling others to be saved as they come, under, come into that kingdom, as they come under the rule and reign of God's King Jesus. So that's what we pray for, for our next three years, for our next 30 years, next 300 years, that we might know the privilege of seeing God's kingdom come to Woodcroft, Morfitt Vale and beyond in transforming lives given over to King Jesus. Who we think we're praying to influences how we ask and whether we ask in the first place. Jesus gave up his life for you, for me, for all those people out there, so that we get to call God the eternal creator, Father. So let's not miss out on the opportunity to ask, to seek, and to knock that that gives us. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for Jesus that brings us forgiveness of sins. Um, When we read the Sermon on the Mount, it can be so overwhelming. We see how far from Jesus' kingdom standards we are, but we long to be like that. It's a beautiful picture. So we turn to you, trusting in you for grace and forgiveness. And we ask and seek and knock that you will grow your kingdom in ourselves individually, in this church. And you'll help us to bring more and more into your kingdom through all that we do as a church together. Amen.